remain standing. We're going to read God's word together. And as we come to the underlined portion, we'll read, you'll read along with me. Let's find Exodus chapter 20, working our way through the Big Ten, a different sort of Big Ten, right? The Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20. This is the word of God. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for, the, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This is the word of God. You can be seated. There's just something about a name. Now, in biblical days, they gave a name to a child that ultimately had something to do with an eye toward their purpose or their destiny. And while we don't think about names with maybe the level of significance the people in the biblical days did, we still believe that names matter. I did, a stu I did, I did some research this week, which is always a scary thing, right? And did you know prior to the 1940s, the name Adolf was very popular among people in Europe? Like, it was as popular as a mat, for instance. I mean, everywhere. And obviously, I think we can think of a few reasons why that name declined, right, in use after the 1940s. Because people did not want to bring a reputation and associate it with a name, right? Or have you ever noticed this? People love to name their kids after people in the Bible, right? You got Elijah, you got Matthews, right? You might even have a Peter or a Paul, but when was the last time you met an Esau or a Jezebel or a Judas? Not, I've not met too many of those recently, right? But it's, and it's funny enough, you'll actually meet in among the 12 disciples, there actually was a second guy named Judas. And the way he's noted in the Bible is it says Judas, and then it has two sort of parentheses, not Iscariot. <laughs> Which, again, I don't blame the guy by probably going, hey, can you make sure to put that in there? That like, I'm not him, right? Because, friends, names matter. And that's the concern of the third commandment. We've been working our way through the book of Exodus, kind of slowing down here at the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments begin right at the top, don't they? Commandment number one, we are to have God and God alone as our supreme treasure. We are to love him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. God alone is worthy of our worship. Then last week, we were in commandment number two, which answered the question, how are we to worship this great God? And we're not to do it with images or anything like that, but by his word. Commandment one answered the question, who are we to worship? 
Commandment 2 answers the question, how are we to worship? But Commandment 3 takes a slightly different direction and answers the question, how are we to handle holy things? In other words, how are we to speak and think and treat the things of God? And notice Moses puts an emphasis on the name of God. Exodus 20, verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. To take his name would be to take his character and his reputation and to attach it to something. To bear his name was to ultimately bring it into association with a particular issue, a particular cause, situation, or action. And friends, God is serious about his name. Anywhere when you're reading through the Bible, you see a capital Lord in your Bible. That's where the actual name of God, Yahweh, is used. And he actually begins the Ten Commandments with this reminder, Exodus 20, verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He says, I am Yahweh who brought you out of slavery. He's saying, I'm the one who revealed myself to Moses in the burning bush and said, I am who I am. He's the self-existent, invisible, immortal, sovereign, ruler, creator, and sustainer of the universe. And his name is connected with that reputation. And God takes his name and his reputation seriously. In fact, in ancient Israel... Part of the civil code, part of what the nation was to enact, there was actually a death sentence for blasphemy. Look at the book of Leviticus, chapter 24, verse 16. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him, the sojourner as well as the native. When he blasphemes the name shall be put to death. In other words, God desired for Israel to take his name seriously. And this is even over in the New Testament as well. We see God instruct us as New Testament believers to take his name seriously. Consider what we pray when we pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. To hallow means to revere, to see it as holy, to regard it as sacred or completely other. Friends, God's name, his attributes, his reputation, his nature, his works, his word, all of it is to be hallowed and to be seen as holy, as sacred, to treat God as God over all of our life, to speak and live in light of who he is, to treat God not as our homeboy, but as our Lord and creator. We're often very flippant when we talk about God and the things of God. But friends, we all know there are things in our culture that you can't even begin to joke about without just having public out outlash, right, and public backlash. But friends, we feel so free to talk about the things of God. We're to live in accordance with the Lord's prayer, to live on earth as is in heaven. And friends, most of them, we think about the third commandment, we think about somebody texting the words OMG and sending them, right? That's typically what people think about, or using the name of Jesus in a derogatory term. And while that certainly is part of it, I definitely think we need to be careful how we use the name of God. It gets a little bit down deeper than that. It gets to our words, our thoughts, our deeds, 
The third commandment would have us to hallow God's name in all of life. And look how the third commandment actually puts it. Exodus 20, verse 7 again. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Don't let it be vain, empty, meaningless. Seems a bit abstract on the surface, doesn't it? How do we do this? What does it mean to take God's name in vain? Let me give you three examples this morning as we consider this commandment. First, we take God's name in vain when we attach his name to something false. We take God's name in vain when we attach his name to something false. Let me give you a couple examples of this. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 12. Look at this. It spells it out really plainly. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so proclaim and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. To swear by God's name falsely is to take his name in vain. Maybe you've testified in court or maybe you just love court drama like I do, right? They'll bring out the Bible. They put their hand on it. What do they have them say? You solemnly swear that the testimony you're about to give is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help you, God, right? And friends, if you are to take an oath like that and then to to bend the truth, to tell a falsehood, friends, you are breaking the third commandment. We are not to swear on the name of the one true God and then speak falsely because that would say that we think either God doesn't care about the truth or that God himself is a liar. Maybe you were like me as a kid and if I were making up a real big story, I know I did this, or I wanted to get out of something that I know I did, I would always try to really do it up and I would go, I swear to God that I didn't do this. Friends, all while I knew, I actually did, right? Friends, that is breaking the third commandment. When we we take his name in vain, when we attach it with falsehood. Jesus actually talks about this over at the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, he says this. Again, you've heard it said to to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you've sworn. But I say to you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Now, I don't think Jesus is necessarily condemning taking all oaths. And we can look at that another day if you're curious. But he is saying to take the third commandment seriously. We shouldn't be careless with our words, nor swear falsely by God or anything God made. There were people in the ancient day who would go, well, I'm not willing to swear by God, but I'll swear by Jerusalem. And then that meant they could just bend the truth a little bit. Because like, well, God's true, but Jerusalem's kind of a mess, right? But Jesus says that as people who bear God's name, as Christians, we shouldn't need to swear our yes should be yes and our no should be no. We should be people of honesty who carry the name of the God of truth. Do we ever attach God's name to something in order to make it appear more truthful? There are people who are prone to use church attendance, service 
in a church. Friends, and they'll join churches solely for the purpose of making their own business look more reputable, right? Like, they'll be like, well, I really want to, you know, if I go to church, then people in this community will start doing business with me more. And then they'll be cheating people while they're going to the church, right? Nobody here does that. I'm just saying there are people who do that, who try to use church attendance friends for business gain or friends for political gain, and they take the name of the Lord in vain. Or consider this, do we ever attach God's name to our agenda and then call it his? Have you ever had anybody come up to you and say, the Lord is leading me, and really it's them leading them? <laughs> the Lord wants you to do this. And it's like, I, I talked to him, and he didn't, I don't think he asked me to do that, right? Friends, it's a power move. It's sort of manipulating people using God's name. That's what the third commandment forbids. We need to make sure we are clear about what is God, God, call, God is calling us to do. Or friends, don't bring him into it. It's okay to say, I think I need to do this. Friends, don't bring him into your bad idea. Because then you're going to blame him when it doesn't work out. And he was like, I never even told you to do it. Or do we ever attach God's blessing to something that he says he's not going to bless? Let me warn you, a political season is coming, and there's always going to be every candidate says God is on their side, right? Every single one of them, God's going to bless him and him. And I'm like, well, you are on opposite ends of the thing, so I'm not sure he's going to bless both of you, right? I don't think he's kind of straddling the fence, right? Friends, more often than not, almost all of these candidates are offering you empty words, empty changes, empty promises. Be careful. We blaspheme God's name when we unite his name with a false cause or claim he blesses something he doesn't bless. Don't attach his name to something false and take his name in vain. See the contrast between this and what Jesus did in his earthly ministry. See, Jesus perfectly bore the name of God. John chapter 17, in his great high priestly prayer, he, he prayed this. He said, Father, I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. In other words, Jesus is saying, I have perfectly manifested God, God's attributes, his reputation, and his truth to the world. He never brought God's name into something false because Jesus never did anything false. Jesus never broke an oath. He never needed to, to make his cause seem more spiritual or believable by throwing God's name into it. Friends, Jesus is the perfect example of bearing God's name correctly. We're not to attach his name to something false. But there's more. The, second, the third commandment's not done there. We see second, we break the third commandment. We take God's name in vain when we attach God's name to something frivolous to something frivolous. In other words, friends, we got to be careful about just throwing God's name around carelessly or treating it like it's some sort of magic incantation. You ever heard folks who come up to pray, and friends, all you heard them say was just sort of, Lord, God, Father, and they just kind of kept saying God's name, but they never really prayed for anything? 
or they acted like if they just repeated God's name that it somehow made their prayer more holy, or they used the name God or Lord, those titles, simply to fill in blank space. Friends, Scripture warns us about thinking the quantity of our words is more valuable than the quality. Think about this. Matthew chapter 6, here's what Jesus would tell us. He says this, And when you pray, don't keep up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Friends, Jesus warned us about two things here. One, don't come up and pray in front of a bunch of people in a showy way. If you walk away going, man, that guy's so eloquent. You've missed the point, right? But he also tells us not only don't make our prayers showy, but friends, don't make them sloppy. Don't make them sloppy. Don't turn God's name into an empty phrase. Let me tell you something. He isn't deaf. You don't need to say his name multiple times for him to finally go, oh, they're talking to me. Be careful. Now, this can be taken a bit too far, right? There was a Jewish tradition that developed sort of after the Old Testament where the Jewish people would never use the name of God. They would go, hey, we're never going to use the name Yahweh. Only the high priest on the Day of Atonement could use it because they were so nervous about taking God's name in vain. But God actually invites us to call on his name. So I don't think it means to never say his name, but I do think it means we need to approach God and the things of God with preparation. Friends, if we were to host a big important business leader or political leader to our house, we would come prepared, and yet often we feel comfortable winging it when it comes to the things of God. Why? Man, why would we do all of this work? Sometimes we do all of this work for somebody like the pastor to come over. Friends, you don't need to worry about me at all. (laughs) But we would never do the same work for God. And coming before his presence. Let me show you this. The book of Malachi, at the end, last book in the Old Testament, shows us God's people's cutting corners. God required a perfect spotless sacrifice, but they thought their second or their third best would do. And look what happens. And look also at God's concern. This is Malachi chapter 1. He says this, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am your father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts, to you, O priests, who despise my name? But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you take, when you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hands. Look at this. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. 
but you proclaim it. When you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is its food, may be despised. But you say, what weariness this is. In other words, this is a lot of work, God. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. See his point. God says, I'm great. I'm the king. Friends, mine, I am worthy of being glorified among the nations. I'm the great king to be feared and honored and worshiped. And yet the people came either unprepared or half-hearted. They would, instead of giving their best to the Lord, they'll go, well, I'll give them the blind sacrifice. Or, hey, I'll go steal my neighbors and then bring it to the Lord. Just imagine that. They treated his name as frivolous. And friends, while we don't approach God via goats and sheeps and bulls, friends, we can do this when we come to worship, whether in song or prayer or reading or beyond, and we come half-hearted or unprepared. Some people talk about how, hey, I hate coming to church and doing the same thing. We read, we pray, the guy preaches, da-da-da-da. And the thing is, friends, Sunday doesn't have to look the same if preparation happens beforehand. If prayer and seeking the Lord, maybe reading ahead, if you know what the scripture is going to be, you're just preparing your own heart. Friends, even the mundane could be transformed into something miraculous. Look what Solomon gets at. He warns us about this. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 5. King Solomon says, Guard your steps when you go into the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they are doing. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. He says, be careful how we come to God and if we bring him something frivolous, he's in heaven, we're on earth. Be careful about using his name as sort of a, a, a dirty word. What does that say about our view of him? And be careful not to let our tongues get ahead of our heads. And this is the preacher talking to you who often lets my tongue get ahead of my head. Friends, we need to come prepared and not use God's name frivolously. Jesus himself was very careful when he prayed and he gave us the Lord's Prayer, right? Known throughout the world. And have you ever noticed how short and sweet and to the point the Lord's Prayer is? Around 50 words in English and not a syllable wasted. And I want you to see this in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. We get a picture of the Savior's prayer life. And we're told this. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Friends, if some of you think that the longer and flowier your prayer is, the more holy it is, Jesus teaches us otherwise. Friends, he is heard because of his reverence. 
loud cries and tears, not a vain use of God's name. In the garden, as the cross approached, Jesus prayed the simple words, not my will, yours be done. Friends, don't try to be more spiritual than Jesus. There's a lot of us that want to throw God's name into stuff or want to make us sound really good and throw around God's name in our life. Friends, sometimes the most faithful prayers are short and sweet and to the point. I think God would follow the acronym KISS. You ever heard the KISS acronym? Keep it simple, stupid, right? That's what God would encourage us when we come before him is to keep it simple, keep it to the point because anything else in the abundance of words, there's often mistakes. There's often things we wish we didn't say. Don't attach God's name to something frivolous. And finally, let's look at the third thing. We take God's name in vain when we attach God's name to something phony. When we attach his name to something phony. Friends, this happens when you turn on the TV and you see those false teachers and false prophets peddle God's name to abuse and use others. Friends, let me tell you, God sees and God will judge and answer. And he will also, and we share in that condemnation if we support teachers like that. But friends, it's even more important that we remember as Christians, we bear God's name as God's people, and we need our, our profession to match how we live. If we profess to know God yet live like the rest of the world, friends, we're attaching God's name to something phony. We're attaching it to hypocrisy. Friends, the third commandment is ultimately a commandment against hypocrisy, that we might walk the walk and talk the talk. That's not to say any of us are going to be perfect, but it is to say that we at least recognize when we fall and we'll confess it and repent of it and seek by the Lord's help to press forward. Look at what Paul warns us about. Romans chapter 2, verse 21 to 24. He says this, You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of, the, of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. He says, keep in mind, hypocrisy gives God a bad name. And he says, keep in mind, we must be mindful as a church how we live together and how we live individually and what that proclaims about the name of the God we bear. Friends, that's why we need the church. That's why we need small groups and accountability together. That's why we need to hold one another up. And that's why sometimes if we're walking in sin for a season, people may need to take a step back. And to be ministered to and to help them to be able to get back on their feet where they can then walk with the Lord as they should. Because God is not pleased with rampant hypocrisy. In fact, he takes it very, very seriously. And this comes with hypocrisy of lifestyle, but friends, also hypocrisy of beliefs. Because friends, there are many of us that want to try to put God's word in with sort of worldly beliefs and practices. To try to go, well, I'm going to try to squeeze this in, and I'm going to let the culture dictate what God's word settled long ago. Friends, God doesn't need our help 
our wisdom or our suggestions. Friends, God will not be sort of synchronized with either the false worship or false religions of the world or whatever the hip latest thing is. God doesn't care about being hip. I don't know if you figured that out yet or not, but he really doesn't care about that. Friends, he tells us how we are to worship and how we are to live, and friends, God doesn't stutter. And compromise is such a temptation in our day, especially young people, students, you hear me here. There are temptations every day pressing in around you on any number of issues to just bend a little bit here or there, to bow to the expectations of the culture, or to think that, well, if I just sprinkle a little bit of this in, that, that's okay, right? But let me illustrate the problem with this with one of my favorite passages in the Bible in the book of Acts chapter 19 where we meet the seven sons of Sceva. And the seven sons of Sceva, these guys grew up and they became itinerant Jewish exorcists. How's that for a career path, right? I don't know if you go to college to do that. I don't know how that goes, but the kids don't go off and become itinerant Jewish exorcists. You're going to see why this doesn't work out for them. They see all the miracles Paul's doing, and they're like, hey, I want to do that. So they continue doing exactly what they were doing, but they start attaching Paul and Jesus' name to it. These folks were living against what God would have them do, but they thought, if I just put the right name on it, maybe everything will be okay. And these folks took the ne- would always sort of take the name of a, of a different deity and just sort of attach it to their ministry. And that's like what happens. They approach somebody. They're going to cast out the demons, and this is what happens. Acts 19, verse 15. But the evil spirits answered them. Imagine that. They start talking back to them. Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Friends, see this. They, I don't think they were actually expecting an evil spirit to come out of this. I, I don't think they were ready for this because they're pro- I think there would have been protocol in place, right? They end up being beaten down, stripped down, and running for their lives. And commentators, I think, rightly point out that it's likely the sons of Sceva were running a little bit of a, of a scam here. They never really thought they could encounter a, a, a demonic force. They just thought, well, if I attach the name of Jesus onto my scam, more people will buy into it, right? People will think we're holy, but friends, if you take the name of Jesus and attach it to something phony, all the power is gone from the name of Jesus. When you take the name of Jesus and you combine it with rampant hypocrisy, you lose all the power of God, and the embarrassment spreads throughout the land. These guys are remembered in history for running out of this house naked and afraid. And God uses it. Look what happens next. This is Acts 19, verse 18. And many who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. See it. God's name cannot be borrowed by these exorcists to do their work. 
God used this embarrassment. Many people were saved. The word went forth. And notice that when the word of God got a hold of the folks, they didn't try to keep their previous life and practices in place. But they came, they brought their, quote, magic books, they burned them, and friends, they counted the cost. And it was a cost, wasn't it? I don't know how much 50,000 pieces of silver are now, but I know I don't have it, <laughs> right? Friends, they counted the cost because it was clear that God would not share his glory with another. God will not be synchronized with false worship and his name will not be attached to something phony or something fiendish and evil. So they burned the books, they took the laws because God is calling us to full and complete devotion to him. To not attach his name to compromise or hypocrisy to something phony. And the Apostle Paul actually warns us about this. This is 2 Timothy 3 verse 5. He warns us about last day's deception. And he says, this is, this is the, some of the worst deception you could imagine. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And he goes out and says, avoid such people. Avoid people who want to give the air of being spiritual and holy, but don't have any real thing inside of them. They're nothing more than a cup that's clean on the outside, but completely disgusting and dirty on the inside. He says, watch out for that. Watch out for people who put on a good show, who want you to look and think they're spiritual, but who really don't want holiness in their lives, who use Jesus as a mask for the approval of others, rather than those who have Jesus in their heart and live for heaven's approval. Friends, God will not have his name attached to something phony. And friends, if we're honest thinking over this, I know for me, friends, I've not kept the third commandment as I ought. Friends, I've broken the third commandment in my life. And Exodus chapter 20 verse 7 tells us this, that for those that take the Lord's name in vain, the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. God takes blasphemy and misuse of his name very serious. And if you remember at the end of the second commandment, we read that God would, would continue to visit the iniquity of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation. That blasphemy is much like idolatry and that, friends, it goes from generation to generation getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Sometimes what begins in one generation is, is accelerated in the second, the third, and the fourth. And God promises that those who continue in that iniquity, friends, he will judge on those who hate him and do not keep his commandments. And friends, left to ourselves, we're in trouble, aren't we? But praise God, that's not the end of the story. Praise God, there's more to the story. There's good news because the name of God is to be honored because the name of God is our hope. Let me show you this in the book of Exodus. Later on in the book of Exodus, the Lord is going to come and visit Moses. And we're going to read this. This is Exodus 34, verse 5. The Lord descended in the clouds and stood with Moses there, and he proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth 
generation. We see at the end the same thing we see in the second commandment, right? God will, the sin is contagious, and as long as sin continues to walk in, God doesn't clear the guilty, friends. God doesn't let you ride on the coattails of your mama or your granddaddy's faith. Right, But he also says, friends, he puts his name and his reputation out there. And he says, yes, while I judge sin, he says, I am a thousand times more inclined toward mercy. I might show judgment to the third and fourth generation, friends. I show mercy to the thousands of generations. And the Apostle Paul is a great example of what God can do to a blasphemer. If you think there's no hope for you, let me give you the Apostle Paul. Here's his testimony. 1 Timothy chapter 1. He says this, I thank God who gave me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointed me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. See the good news. Paul was once a blasphemer seeking to destroy the church and destroy Christ, but that's what he used to be. Paul was turned from a blasphemer into a bearer of his name. Turned from a persecutor to a prophet in the kingdom of God. Tore from an opponent to an apostle. And friends, how can God turn a blasphemer against God into a brother in God's family? Well, through the gospel. Through the cross and the resurrection. Through Jesus coming living a sinless life, dying on the cross, and rising again on the third day. God placing our sin upon him, so not leaving sin undealt with, punishing it in Jesus so that through faith we might receive God's mercy. In fact, see the beauty of this. While Jesus is on trial, look what happens here. This is Matthew chapter 26. But Jesus remained silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is his judgment? They answered, He deserves death. You see, at the innocent, sinless Son of God died the death of blasphemers. And as the Romans crucified him for blasphemy, God laid on Jesus the guilt of blasphemers. Friends, on the cross, the Son of God bore the guilt and the shame of sin so that the grace and mercy of God might overflow to you. Jesus Christ died to save sinners, even the foremost of sinners. Friends, that is the good news. And for those who trust in Jesus, he puts his name on them. He adopts you into his family, and he calls you to bear his name and his gospel to the world. He puts his spirit within you so that you can honor God in what you do. 
And though, friends, we're never going to be perfect, if God can transform an, an, an opponent into a faithful apostle, friends, consider what he can do to you. Let me say this in closing. Today, if you're concerned about standing before God guilty of blasphemy, Jesus has made a way so that all who come through saving faith in his cross and his empty tomb, friends, will receive mercy and grace. The Bible says one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and that there's only one name given among men by which we may be saved, the name of Jesus. And you can right where you are call upon him to save you. You can admit that you're a sinner and even tell God some of the things that you've done. You can believe that Jesus died and rose again and you confess him as Lord of your life. And I'll be down front if you need somebody to pray for you or there'll be others around after the service who would love to talk to you and pray with you to respond to the powerful name of Jesus. But for those of us who bear the name of God as Christians, as people who are part of Crossroads, Let's renew our commitment to the worth of God's name. Let's be careful to come prepared when we're to sing and to pray and to make much of God, to come with our hearts ready and not come halfway in anything that we do, to speak and live in light of who he is. And when we fail, and I'm sure we will, let's look to the one who should be guiltless but took our guilt, who is life itself, yet bore our death, who was righteous, yet became sin, so that through him we may become the righteousness of God. And may we pray and hope, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let's stand and let's pray together. Father God, your name is glorious it's beautiful, it's holy, it's wonderful, because your name represents your character. It is who you are, merciful, abounding in steadfast love and kindness, by no means clearing the guilty. And Lord, we're thankful that your name is most clearly displayed at the cross where sin, our sin, was punished in the person of Jesus. As he bore, as he was on that cross, he was bearing the punishment due our sin. He was buried in a borrowed tomb and he rose again on the third day to show that the debt is paid and that all may come to you in faith and repentance and find life everlasting to overflow with mercy and grace from God to us. So Lord, I pray in light of that, we will treat your name and your character and your things in the way that is honoring and deserving. I pray that right now, if there's anybody here who has never called upon the name of Jesus to save them from their sins, that you would prompt them by the Spirit to do that right now that you would renew our commitment to honor you in everything that we do. And we ask and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our God is awesome. In his sanctuary, the God of Israel gives power and strength to his people. Praise be to God.
Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom. Stum power and love, our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns. From heaven above with wisdom, power, and love, our God is an awesome Just our voices. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love, our God is an awesome God. Our God. Is an awesome God, He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God, He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. One more time. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from above with wisdom. Stem power and love, our God is an awesome God. Our God, our God is an awesome God. Our God, our God is an awesome God. Amen. Yes. Our God is awesome and worthy of praise and worship and worthy of our entire lives. And we honor God's name and everything that we do. And as we close our service, I'd remind you, one of the ways we honor God is with our giving. So you'll be given an opportunity as you feel led on the way out. There's baskets there where you can give. You can set up online giving. And we can do that so that the ministry might continue. Folks be served in our community. Kids meet Jesus. Lots of exciting stuff happening through the ministry here at Crossroads. And we thank you for your, for your giving, your generosity, and your support. I also encourage, again, if you've been visiting with us and you don't have anything going on this afternoon we'll start our discover class in the back room back there in about 10 to 15 minutes we encourage you to stick around we'd love to introduce you a little bit more to our church and get you to get connected if you've never gotten connected with us there's a connect card in the back you can fill out drop in the basket when you leave and as we go out we go out bearing god's name and honoring god with our lives just as we did with our lips and we're sent out with this benediction from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. May the Lord direct your heart to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Amen. Amen.